0: You're listening to a message from Highway Church, entitled, The High Life, Part 6 of 6. Enjoy. You know that, that, that This life we're living, this high life that we're living, it's not about doing, right? It's about being. So we're going to conclude this morning our series on the high life, and we've learned that Jesus came not to put us down, but to lift us up, to make us strong in Him. To elevate us. And the scriptures declare that, that when he was seated at God's right hand, that we were raised and seated with him in Ephesians. So we're living the high life. And we've learned that this, this abundant life, this high life that Christ came to give us, is lived by love, not by law. Right? It's lived by faith, not by fear. It's lived uh, by grace not condemnation, right? It's a, it's a new kind of life that only Jesus could bring, and he brought it, and man, we're right in the middle of it, and we're enjoying it. And we've, we're finishing up by, by focusing on the truth of this high life. It's not about you doing more. It's about being in Christ. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. And the two most important things you could ever know on this planet are number one, who God is, and number two, who you are in him. If you know with all of your heart those two things, man, life is rich, and joy will continue to flow, and nothing will be able to, stay, to steal your joy. So, so we, we focus on these realities here at Highway Church, who God is and who we are in him and we saw Jesus who's the alpha the omega the beginning and the end he has no beginning he has no end but we saw that that well we know that we're getting ready to celebrate christmas time right and we know that jesus in ephesians chapter 2 somewhere like verses 6 through 11 tells us that this alpha omega jesus emptied himself of his alpha omega ness right And he came to earth as a human being, as a man, as a baby boy. And he was just like every other baby that was born in the sense that he he went poopy like babies go poopy, right? He had a rattle and a pack and play and all that stuff, right? In other words, he was real human flesh. The difference is he was conceived in his mother's womb by the Holy Spirit. Right, so he was God, but he was also man. It's 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 only God could do something like this, right? But before Je- Jesus came to Earth as a baby, he showed up on, on Earth in the Old Testament. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Jesus made appearances in the Old Testament. Uh, one of one of my favorites is in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't understand it. He threw three men in the fire, but after they get in there, there's four. And Nebuchadnezzar says of his own mouth, didn't we throw three men in? Look, I see four, and the fourth's appearance is like the Son of God. Well, he was right. That was Jesus in the fire, right? Another place that we looked at last week was when when Jesus appeared to Abraham in the form of Melchizedek. Wasn't that awesome? Right, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 16, explain this to us, that Jesus appeared to Abraham, the king of righteousness, the king of peace, Jesus, the one who has no beginning and no end. And he didn't appear to Abraham according to the law, it says in Hebrews, he appeared to him according to the power of an endless life. Hallelujah. Now we understand why Jesus said in John 8.58, Before most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He's the only one qualified to say that, right? Before Abraham was, I am. And we know that God revealed himself as I am to Moses. It's my favorite name of God, I am. And we see way back in Exodus chapter three, right? A man who's about eighty years old, who's who ran away from his destiny, right? Been living uh, in, in seclusion for forty years, but God hasn't forgotten him. God still wants to fulfill His plan and purpose for his life, and God speaks to Moses, and Moses asks him, "Who shall I tell your people? It is that sent me." And he says, "I am that I am. Tell them I am." Has sent you. Let's take a look at that scripture, actually. In Exodus chapter 3, he says, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. It's on the screen there for you. I am has sent me to you. And you'll find God speaks in this way, that we serve a God who's present tense, a God who's never outdated, who's always fresh. He is I am, and God reveals himself through his name. Now, let me see. I want to make sure I'm not skipping something. All right. Before we continue here, let's jump backwards a little bit. We ended last week with Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. God is I am. And I want to to grab a hold of this as we go forward into the name of God. Eden, can you put up, or Olivia, whoever's back there, Ephesians chapter 1. Malachi, you guys are awesome. Judah, what a team. Where'd Judah go? Is he out getting donuts or something? Yeah. All right, verse 17. Now, this, we said this is the best prayer you could ever pray for someone. Because we want to realize who God is, right, and who we are in him. And it takes the Holy Spirit to reveal that to us. So this is what this prayer is all about, Ephesians 1.17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You can't get this from a school. This has to come through the Holy Spirit. All right? We know God by revelation, not education. So important to understand that. doesn't mean we don't go to school but, but we learn directly from the Holy Spirit. He's got to reveal Christ to us. That's how we know. Them. That's why you have people who've gone to school, graduated from school, and are, are full-time ministers and aren't born again, don't know Jesus, right? They've learned by education instead of revelation. Verse 18, this is our verse, by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light. So how are you going to know who God is and who you are In him, well, the Holy Spirit's got to shine the light of Christ into your heart by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light so that you can know and understand the hope that's the confidence to which He's called you. So, as you're spending time and you're living your life in relationship with the Holy Spirit, what is He doing? illuminating who God is and who he made you to be. Right? So as you're fellowshipping with him, like we're doing right now, and as you go through your Monday and your Tuesday, and your mind is stayed on him, you're trusting in him, you're worshiping him, the light of Christ will be shining in your heart, and you'll begin to see Christ more clearly, and you'll begin to see who you really are in him more clearly. I like that. It's a In the beginning of John chapter 1, I think it's some, I don't know, like verse 3, it talks about Christ says, in him was life, and that life was the light of man. In other words, as we behold Christ, who we were made to be becomes clear. Right? That the eyes of your heart are flooded with light. And Debbie shared uh, with us that that word uh, in the Greek there is photizo. Right, which is where our word photograph comes from. And a photograph is made by exposing light-sensitive material to, 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 to light, right? And an image is recorded on that film or on whatever it is that's recording that image. And our heart is that light-sensitive material. So as you're trusting in Christ in your life that the light of Christ is recording an image of him, on your heart and, re- a- a- and creating a clear image of who you are in him on your heart. And the clearer your image becomes of Christ, the clearer your image becomes of who you are in him, the stronger you become, right? right? The more of him you experience. And that's really what hinders us from experiencing him. Sometimes our image of him is distorted because of what we've been told previously, or maybe what we've been through. Maybe we've come to wrong conclusions about Him because of our life experience. We went through something, we decided something about God that's really not true, and now our image of Him has been distorted. The Holy Spirit wants to fix that. He wants to flood the eyes of your heart with light so that you can see I am clearly, and so that you can know who you are in Him. So this is what the Holy Spirit is about. All right. And then, it, well, let's go on to the next verse there. So, so you, can, you can know, what else can you know? Go back, I'm sorry, to verse 18. Yeah, know the confidence that he's called you to. What's God's destiny for your life? Right, that takes so much stress off of people, all the stress off, when you realize why you've been made. Right? You're not trying to make anything happen anymore. Right? You're not, our nose is not to the grindstone trying to make ends meet. We're simply being who we are made to be, right? We're being who we made to be. Never saw a stressed out fruit growing on a tree. That's us. We're just growing on. We're abiding in the vine. We're stress-free people. We're becoming always made us to be. And so you can know and understand how rich is his provision for your life. Next one. And so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable, unlimited, surpassing greatness of His power in you. Right? In and for us who believe. Do you believe? Yes, Yes, you do. You sure do. You're qualified by Christ through faith, right? All right, so I am. This is who he is, and this is what he wants to do in your life. He wants to shine his light in your heart so that those wrong images that were developed are are dispelled, and you see him clearly, and you see who you really are in him clearly. All right, so God says, I am to Moses. Jesus said, most assuredly, before uh, before Abraham was, I am. Why does he talk like this? Because he's, he's God, right? He's so good. And in I am, God reveals his character in his name I am. He reveal, reveals his will, and he reveals his power. And we shared last week from Vine's Expository Dictionary, this Hebrew uh, verb here that he says, uh, tell them I am sent you, Hava. In the context in which it's used, Vine says, it communicates the dynamic forces behind and within the action. Well, what's what's God talking to Moses about? What's the action that God wants to perform in the Israelites' life in Exodus 3? What's he want to do? Set them free, right? Deliver them from bondage, right? They're they're being cruelly oppressed, right? And God, so the action is deliverance. So Vine's saying when he says, I am, right, within that statement, the dynamic forces uh, behind are released. In other words, I, 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 let me read Let me see if I can get this out. Another way he says it is, I am declares the actual release of power so that the accomplishment is assured. When he says I am in this context, it's a recognition of his intent to accomplish the desired result. I say it like this, when God says I am to Moses, he's saying I have the power and life to deliver them and it's my will to do so, right? Right? He says I am, it's my will to deliver them, Moses, and I have the power and life required to do so, so go on my behalf, right? So when God says I am, he's revealing his power, his will, and his character. All right, stay with me, this is going to get Good-er as we go. So, Hava, I am. Now, the proper name for God we know is Jehovah, right? And that's how we say it in English, Jehovah or Yahweh, but however we pronounce it. But this name was so sacred to God's people, they got to a point in their history where they wouldn't even want to say it. They didn't even want to utter it on their lips. But what does Jehovah sound like? Hava, Jehovah. Yeah, Havas in there, isn't it, right? So the meaning of this name is very powerful. To be is in the name. But it doesn't just mean to be. More specifically, it has this connotation of to become known. In other words, I am the God who desires to be known by you, which is radically different from any other God that was worshipped in any other nation. The the pagan gods were forbidding, right? They were distant. They were cold. Don't come near them lest you you incur their wrath. So when God said Jehovah, he said, I am the God who wants to be known by you. And if you study it out, it could be translated this way. I am the God who continually reveals myself to you. I'm the God who wants to become known by you. I'm the God who reveals myself unceasingly to you. We need an unceasing God, don't we? Right, that when I'm tired or frustrated, the unceasing God is there, right, revealing himself to me, strengthening me. So this is a very, it's a very inviting name, God's name. There's nothing forbidding about it, right? So God reveals himself to his people through his name. Probably one of the most popular examples, we were talking about Abraham the last couple of weeks, was in Genesis chapter 22, where the name jehovah Yireh or Jireh, we say, was, was used by Abraham. And we know the, the, what happened there in, in Abraham's life. God made him a promise, That he would have a son, that through his son, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And then God, later on, after his son was in his teenage years, asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. But it gives us insight into Hebrews. Abraham figured, well, no matter what, his son was going to live out the fullness of his life, even if God had to raise him from the dead right? So Abraham's going up the, to, to, to perform the sacrifice with his son, and he tells his son, let's pull that up, uh, Genesis 22, 8. Look what God says here, uh, what Abraham says about God here. Genesis chapter 22, verse 8 says, Abraham said, my son, he's talking to Isaac, God will provide, All right? That's raah in the Hebrew. He, this word's used three times, Twice in, uh, once in this verse and twice in the next one we're going to read. God will provide himself a lamb, all right, for a burnt offering. So was Abraham afraid going up? Was he wondering what's God up to? This doesn't make any sense. No, he's saying God will provide. Why? Because he's already made a promise to me. God won't ever ask you to do anything without a promise preceding it. So important to know that. So many people are trying to obey God, but they don't know his promises. God will never ask anything of you without a promise preceding it. Because that promise, within that promise, is the strength and wisdom to do what he's called you to do. Very important. So his promises, right? 2 Peter 1, through his promises we experience his nature. All right. So he says he will provide right? They both went up together. Verse 14, same chapter. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Yireh, same word here, rah, which we translate the Lord will provide, right? So what happened? There was a ram there, wasn't it, right? He went to perform the sacrifice. God stopped him, and there was what God had provided. So uh, Abraham is overwhelmed by God's goodness in his life, and he calls this place, you are the Lord, you are, I am you are the one who has revealed yourself to me as my provider. Okay? And as it is said this day, in the mount of the Lord, Ra'a again says the same thing again. It will be seen. Why does it say seen there and Jehovah Jireh there and provide there? Well, what is provision? You got P R O and vision, right? You got the prefix pro. What does that mean? Before. And what is vision? Seen. God has seen your need before it ever happened and made provision for it, right? He's the God who sees ahead of time and provides for it, right? He's the God who already has the supply you need in 2016, and it's there now, right? Provision. He's the God who sees ahead of time and provides. Abraham realizes that I'm calling this place, you are I am. You're the one who has revealed to me it is your will to provide for me, and you have the power and you've done it. See? So we want to get to this place where God's name is intimate to us. It's not foreboding to us. Where where it motivates us to run in him. His name once makes me want to run and grab a hold of him, right? It invites us. He's saying, this is who I am. I'm the one who has revealed my will is to provide for you, and I've got the power to do it, all right? So the two most important things we can know is who God is and who we are in him. He's I am. Anytime, and there are a number of Jehovah names. We're not going to go through them today, but anytime, Jehovah uh, Rophe, I am the Lord, your healer means I have revealed it is my will to heal you and I have the power to do it, right? Jehovah Rapha, what does that name Jesus come from? Same name as Joshua, Yeshua, right? What does it mean? Salvation, what was God revealing, right? I am the one who has the power to save and it is my will to do so, Jesus, okay? Call his name Jesus. So God's will and his name God's will and his power is revealed in his name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for revealing who you are to us now. Thank you for fixing broken pictures of you in every heart that hears this message. Thank you for putting together a clear image of who you are in our hearts and a clear image of who you've made us to be in you, in our hearts, in Jesus' name. All right, now, are you ready? All right, now we can go forward. So ignorance of who God is, ignorance of who you are in him can cause you to waver and make you vulnerable to fear, anxiety, lack, and attacks of the enemy, right? Ignorance of who he is and what he's done for you, ignorance of who you are in him, can cause you to waver or make you vulnerable to fear and anxiety and lack and attacks of the enemy. This is where the devil will attack in your life. You are Your understanding of who God is and your understanding of who you are in him. This is what Satan wants to come against. If he can distort your picture of God, if he can distort your picture of who you are in Christ, he's got you where he wants you, right? Because then you'll start believing things that aren't true, all right? Do you know that's how he attacked Jesus? We're going to look at this now. This is how he came against Jesus. But before we look at how Satan attacked Jesus, we're going to look at how Jesus spent his time growing up. Jesus spent time learning who God was as a a boy and who he was in God. Now, this sounds crazy. I want you to understand, Jesus was always God, right? But understand, he literally laid down his godliness when he came to earth. And when he was born a baby, he didn't know anything. This is not uh, um, blasphemy. This is the Scriptures. I'm going to show it to you here. The baby, he didn't know how to speak. He didn't know how to articulate anything. He just said, wah, Right? (laughs) And goo, goo, goo. That's all he knew. But the Scriptures give us insight into this. Let's go to, to the book of Luke. Now, we know Jesus, the Alpha, the Omega, has never had to learn anything, right? He's never learned anything. He's never increased. God, He's always been all, right? He's, he's, he's the, the, the one who has no beginning and no end. But when he laid down his godliness and came to earth as a baby, he became a human being. And, and if his mom and dad didn't care for him, he would have died. So I think God selected a man and a woman that he knew would care for him. Father, we pray for this region, that you would move among men and women to care for their children to treasure children, to treasure the fruit of the womb. In Jesus' name. And you would bless and prosper organizations like A Woman's Concern and other organizations. You would empower them to reach hurting people, that they could be put back together again and lives would be saved. In Jesus' name. So he came down, he, here he is growing up a little baby, and in Luke chapter 2, it teaches us that this little boy Jesus learned and studied and increased. So in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 40, look what it says in Luke 2, 40. This is amazing. It's talking about Jesus. It says the child continued to grow and become strong. Yeah. Right? Now, God has never grown, Right? But he's talking about the man Jesus now, right? He started out a, a, in the womb of Mary, nine months, born a little baby in a manger. Now he's growing, and he grows and he becomes strong. He's increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. He's about 12 years old at this point in his life, okay? Now, you, we're not, we don't have time to read the whole thing. We're going to go to uh, verse 42. 6, but we'll summarize verses 41 and following. Jesus' family, Joseph and Mary and his family, had a tradition every year of going to Jerusalem for the Passover. And they, they did it this year. He's 12 years old, all right? Had no driver's license. Too young for that. Couldn't vote. He's a, a boy, about to become a man, right? And they, they go to the feast of Passover, they celebrate, and they and their company leave after the celebration. And after a day of traveling, they realize their 12-year-old son, Jesus, is not in the company that they're traveling with. I remember we were in uh, New York. We took our kids, and we were on a subway, and we were all riding the subways, and we all got on the subway, and Dana almost didn't get off. <laughs> Where are you at, Dana? Yeah, off with us. Yeah, remember that? So I'm glad it wasn't a day. It was just a few moments, but she made it. So. <laughs> Uh, God is good. So they realize, wait a minute, Jesus isn't on the subway, or Jesus didn't get off the subway, right? No, Jesus is not with us. So they turn back around and go to Jerusalem. It takes them three days to find find him. So we'll pick up in verse 46. And now so it was, this is Luke 2, 46. Now so it was that after three days, they found Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus, right? Jesus had done no miracles to this point. Very important to understand that remember years ago, I saw a movie on TV uh, of a little boy Jesus doing miracles. Not true. Not true at all. He didn't do any miracles till the age about the age of 30, after he was baptized and began his ministry. All right, so here's a little 12-year-old Jesus. Looks like every other kid, all right? They, they go into the temple. They find him in the temple. What's he doing? Sitting in the midst of the teachers. Those were the experts in the Scriptures. Some translations will say Doctors. In other words, the experts in the Scriptures. He's sitting in the midst of them. What's he doing? Listening and asking. That is not the posture of a teacher, is it? Uh -uh. He's listening to the experts in the Scriptures, then he's asking them. That's someone, that reveals to me this 12-year-old boy had a desire to know God. It was more important to him than being with his family. Going to church was more important to him than the family activities they had planned. Ah, we're just reading the Bible, right? Yeah, isn't this awesome? So he's listening and he's asking questions and all who heard him in verse 47 were astonished at this 12-year-old boy. Why? Because this wasn't the first time he'd done this. This was his practice, he went to church regularly, listened to the scriptures, and asked questions. And he was learning and growing. And they're astonished at this little boy, how much he knows. Wow. Verse 48. So when they saw him, that's Joseph and Mary now. Uh-oh, mom and dad are here. They were amazed. And his mother says to him, son, why have you done this to us? It's whooping time. Right? Right? Look, your father and I are having a fit over here for three days. Your father and I have sought you anxiously. Wow. All they had to do was go to church, right? Verse 49, he said to them, why did you seek me? You know my practice of going to church and sitting and listening to the scriptures and asking questions. You know me, I'm your son. What I'm doing is not foreign to the way I've been living. Why did you seek me? You see that? You know me. You know what's important to me. You've seen the priority in my life is to know who God is and to know who I am in Him. You see Jesus here at age 12? All right, this is going to be really important. We we go on later here. So he said, "Don't you know? Haven't I demonstrated to you as a boy 12 years old, I've got to be about this 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 idols business." No. Oh no. My father. He knew the God of Israel as his father because going to church, listening to the scriptures, Asking questions, growing, became a priority to him, and he came developed a very clear picture of who God is and who he was made to be in him. Very important. And look at verse fifty and following says they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Probably still got a spanking. Verse 51. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth. He was subject to them. He's a good boy. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. She knew there was more to him. Now, remember, this was 12 years after Gabriel appeared to her. So she went through a supernatural childbirth, right? Yeah. Right? The only time ever in history and ever will be, right? But it's 12 years later now. She's not full of the Holy Spirit. She's not born again. Maybe she's kind of forgotten what Gabriel told her. Not like forgot it altogether, but maybe it's not so much in the forefront of her life anymore. So she's watching this 12-year-old that Gabriel told her about that was supernaturally conceived in her womb. And all of a sudden, what God said to her 12 years ago begins to rise to the surface. And she begins to treasure these things in her heart. And verse four fifty-two, and look at this, and Jesus increased. God can't increase, right? He's talking about the boy Jesus, the man Jesus. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. All right, let's bring this thing to a close. Let's fast forward now to Jesus the man, age 30. Not 12-year-old boy anymore. Full-grown man, ready to step out into the calling of God in his life. And in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 3, the full-grown, the man Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. This is verse 16 of Matthew chapter 3. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. Now, he's had time now, right, uh, of studying the Scriptures, knowing who God is. He calls God his Father at age 12, right? He gets baptized now. He rises up, and it says, and the Spirit of God descending like a dove. doesn't say appearing like a dove, does it? See how religion is funny? The Holy Spirit's not a dove. He's God. He has arms and legs. He's strong. He descended like a dove. Descended describes the manner in which he descended. It was graceful. See how religion can give you funny ideas of God, so you're praying to this dove. No? Oh, he's God. All right? He descended like a dove. He didn't appear like a dove. All right? And lighting upon him. And a voice from heaven says, oh, boy. Next verse. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Wow. That's encouraging, isn't it? Wouldn't that motivate you to hear God speak from heaven and say, "You're my beloved son, and I'm well pleased with you." He's well pleased with you." Did you know that? Because of what Jesus did. Now, the next thing that happens, Satan attacks. God just spoke to him. He's just been baptized. The Holy Spirit has entered him. And God has just confirmed I, you are my beloved son, and I'm well pleased with you. And the next verse is verse 1 of chapter 4 says, then Jesus went. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by who? Satan. Yeah, God doesn't tempt, right? Verse 2. And when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry, verse 3. Now, when the tempter came to him, I want you to notice the first thing that Satan ever did to try and derail Jesus. If you are the son of God. What was the last thing that God said to him? You are my beloved son. At least 40 days passed since he heard that. You can start to forget what God said to you, right? You got to stay on it. Christianity is nothing passive about it. Right? We're very actively pursuing him, right? So 40 some almost 6 6 weeks ago or so, God said to him, "You're my beloved son. I'm well pleased with you." And now he's in a, getting ready to go into the fullness of his calling, the devil's trying to stop him. The first thing he challenges is Jesus' image of God and of himself. And I want you to notice, he doesn't say if you are the beloved son of God. Why? He doesn't want to remind you how much God loves you. He leaves beloved out of it, doesn't he? He says if you're the son of God. When you realize how much God loves you, his love for you will empower you to resist temptation and to walk all over the enemy. It's knowing God's love for you. That's where the strength comes from. When you realize how much he loves you, so Satan's not going to remind you of that. Right? If you are the son of God, then command these stones to become bread. Now, this is like the little boy Jesus talking here. What's Jesus say to, to Satan. Remember, he, he studied the scriptures now. He's built his life on the scriptures, right? He answers and said, it is written. What does written have to do with anything, Jesus? Satan's coming against you. Man, get a gun, do something. You're going back to a book? Don't you know how to fight? Throw a punch or something. Here's Jesus, age 30. He realizes that the most powerful force can In earth or anywhere else is the very word of his father. And he's been studying that word. He's built his life on that word. It's been the priority of his life. So when Satan comes against him without flinching, the first thing out of his mouth is it is written. I've built my life on this, and I am sure of God's promise to me. Because it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, I know Proverbs 4.22. I know his word is life to my body, health to all my whole body. Hallelujah. I know it. It's written. Then the devil takes him up into the holy city, and, and on the pinnacle of the temple, he sets him there. And look what he says to him again. Again, if you are. Boy, there's a lot of ifs in Satan's vocabulary, aren't there? That's what religion does. It builds ifs in your life right? There's a bunch of ifs and no, no assuredness, right? That's why Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, I am. I am your provider. I am your healer. It is my will, and I have the power to do it. it is, if you are the son of God, there it is again, throw yourself down. Now, what is Satan doing? Boy, is he tricky. For it is written, Satan said, I mean, that's pretty sharp, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Why? He saw what this man was standing on. He saw now how, how powerful this man's uh, life had become through faith in what was written. So he's got to, he adjusts his strategy. Well, if, if, if you're going to put your faith in the Scriptures, let me tell you what the Scriptures say. Satan says right? Well, here's what they say. You can throw yourself down because the scriptures say he's going to give his angels charge over you, and in their hands, they'll bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Is he misquoting scripture? No. Technically, that's in there, right? Where's that at? Psalm, Psalm 91. That's one to put in your heart, right? Have that live in you, right? And that's, that's, that's verbatim. He quoted it word for word, but he's wrong, why? He's trying to get Jesus to obey him instead of God. Right. Will God protect Jesus? Absolutely. Right? But, but not if he obeys Satan. Right? Right? He, so, in other words, the, Satan's goal is to, to pull him away from his father, to get him to obey him. So just because someone teaches the Scriptures wrongly, we don't throw away the Scriptures. Right? Just because mis- I've misunderstood the Scriptures, there's still things I don't understand when I read the Bible in the Old and New Testament, but I just keep reading it, right? Because I know eventually I'm going I'm to see it, right? So what we do when we read the Scriptures, we focus on who Christ is. And we, are, we, we develop our understanding of the Scriptures through the light of Jesus Christ, Old and New Testament, all right? So we don't discard what's written because there have been wrong things. Uh, people have used it wrongly. People have abused it. People have misunderstood it. It's still the truth of the living God very important. So he says, it's written. What's Jesus come right back? Oh, you got me there, devil. Now I don't know what to do. No, he doesn't discard it. He says, it's written again. The best thing to do to understand scripture is to put scripture against scripture. If you read a scripture and you don't understand it, just, just start looking around. Start searching, comparing scripture with scripture. Compare the person and ministry of Christ with this conclusion you're, you're trying to come to in your mind. Does what I'm, the conclusion i am come to from hearing this scripture, does it agree with the person and ministry of Jesus Christ? In Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. If it doesn't, I haven't gotten it yet. Then I'm missing something. I need more light. See, we need more light. Hallelujah. So that doesn't work. He says again, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. See, that's what, that's what the enemy was trying to do trying to misuse scripture. So the devil takes him up on exceedingly high mountain, shows him the kingdom of the world, the kings of the world and their glory, says to him, all these things I'll give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Jesus, again, every single time, it is written, right? Away with you, Satan. How, wh- what gives me the authority to rebuke you? It is written. Do you know you have the same authority to rebuke Satan in your life as Jesus does? Why? For it is written. I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Where's that at? Luke chapter 10? 19. Good. Hallelujah. See? It's written. You got to know what's written. When you know what's written, you can act. Right? You shall worship the Lord your God. Only the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Hallelujah. This is who we are. So we're strong in the Scriptures right? It's a priority. It's more important than the NFL, football, hockey, soccer, uh, family reunions, holidays. It blows everything else away. Nothing gets in the way of us coming to church to hear the scriptures and to grow in Him. It had nothing to do with religion. We're on a mission, right? We got we to gotta get this. We got to know Him more. We got to grow in Him. We got to fulfill our destiny, and we know the NFL is not going to do it for us, right? Right? Family reunions aren't going to do it for us. We need the very words of I am. All right, this is the very last thing. Hallelujah. Doing all right? Yes. We're just endeavoring to flow here. Now, I read something uh, some time ago, and I wanted to share it with you. Because when, when, you, when you read the promises of God, when you hear the words of Christ, it lifts you up. It encourages you. It strengthens you. When you read that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you, so that in him you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, wow. When you read that himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses, and that with the stripes that wounded Jesus, we have been healed, strength comes, right? And as you put your trust in what he's done, God begins to raise you up, and you begin to mount up with wings like eagles. You begin to soar on wings, it says in Isaiah 40. You begin to rise above the circumstances that you might be facing, and you begin living life differently, And I read this, this is from opening to a Bible translation, it's an intro, and I just thought that this real-life example was a great illustration of what we're talking about. This is uh, from uh, Francois Dutoit. his intro from the Mirror Bible, but he's talking about his honeymoon in January. Now, I'll use different things, I talked about Ray Bradbury last week, and just because I bring up a quote from someone doesn't mean I agree with everything. They say, right? we we'll are stay with the scriptures. But I thought this illustration was excellent. He says, during our honeymoon in January in 1979 in the Blyde River Canyons in Mumpulanga, South Africa, Lydia and I met a nature conservation officer who told us of a fascinating incident when they released a black eagle a week prior that happened in the Pretoria Zoo that, that happened, uh, yeah, a week that had been, this eagle had been in the Pretoria Zoo for 10 years, Okay, and they're about to release this thing. She told us how excited they were when the bird finally arrived in its wooden crate. This was the day for this eagle to be freed and to return to the life of its design. But their excitement soon turned to frustration when after opening the cage, the bird refused to fly. Isn't that interesting? Ten years of caged life Seemed to have trapped its mind in an invisible enclosure. That's what religion will do. Yeah. Trap you. Right? And you can fly and you don't know it. How could they get the eagle to realize that it was indeed free? No amount of prompting and prodding seemed to help. Then, after some hours, can you imagine it'd be hours with this eagle trying to get to fly. Seems pretty hopeless. Uh, Then after some hours, the birds suddenly looked up, and in the distance, they heard the call of another eagle. This was the moment of true freedom. Immediately, the zoo eagle took off in flight. No flying lessons are required when truth is realized. this is an example of who we are when we hear the words of Christ. When you hear who you are in Christ, no flying lessons are required. You will begin to soar on wings like eagles. You will run and not get tired, walk and not become weary. This is the high life. Father, we thank you for this time together. We love you and worship you. God, you're amazing, and you have done it. We ask you, Holy Spirit, right now, before we bring this time together to a close, to let that light of Jesus Christ illuminate every corner of our heart. Reveal yourself more so to us today, as we, we close this time together, fellowship together, go all throughout our day, open our eyes more so to you, the one who is I am. We realize that you are our provider. You are our righteousness. You are our healer. You are our shepherd. You are our victory and our banner. You are our Deliverer and our Savior. And we thank you for who you are, showing up in every area of our lives in Jesus' name. Name. Amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life he came to give you.